we'd like to take this moment to humbly ask you to help us continue making medieval history accessible. If you are willing and able to, please consider supporting Medieval by donating to our endeavor on Patreon. You can find the link below. Thank you. Then the nation of the Angles, or Saxons, being invited by Vortigern, arrived in Britain with three ships of war, and had a place in which to settle assigned to them by the same king, in the eastern part of the island, on the pretext of fighting in defense of their country, whilst their real intentions were to conquer it. The newcomers received the Britons in a place to inhabit among them, upon condition that they should wage war against their enemies for the peace and security of the country, whilst the Britons agreed to furnish them with pay. Those who came over were of the three most powerful nations of Germany, Saxons, Angles, and Jutes. The first commanders are said to have been the two brothers, Hengist and Horsa. When the news of their success and of the fertility of the country and the cowardice of the Britons reached their own home, a more considerable fleet was quickly sent over, bringing a great number of men, and these, being added to the former army, made up an invincible force. In a short time, swarms of the aforesaid nations came over into the island, and the foreigners began to increase so much that they became a source of terror to the natives themselves who had invited them. Then, having on a sudden entered into league with the Picts, whom they had by this time repelled by force of arms, they began to turn their weapons against their allies. In short, the fire kindled by the hands of the pagans proved God's just vengeance for the crimes of the people. It ravaged all the neighboring cities and country, spreading the conflagration from the eastern to the western sea without any opposition, and overran the whole face of the doomed island. Public as well as private buildings were overturned. The priests were everywhere slain before their altars. No respect was shown for office. The prelates with the people were destroyed with fire and sword, nor were there any left to bury those who had been thus cruelly slaughtered. Some of the miserable survivors, being taken into the mountains, were butchered in heaps. Others, spent with hunger, came forth and submitted themselves to the enemy to undergo, for the sake of food, perpetual servitude, if they were not killed upon the spot. Some, with sorrowful hearts, fled beyond the seas. Others, remaining in their own country, led a miserable life of terror and anxiety of mind among the mountains, woods, and crags. These were the words of the Benedictine monk Bede and his excited imagination as he wrote his ecclesiastical history in 731. He tells the fantastically brutal story of the Jewish warrior brothers Hengist and Horsa, who sealed the terrible fate of the island of Britain in the year 449. Bede is practically the earliest source we have for the story of Hengist and Horsa, and it would be many more decades before the epic was told again. At the command of King Alfred the Great in the late 9th century, the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle began to be compiled and would continue to be added to over several centuries. The texts fill in a few more details, telling us that the Anglo-Saxon armies landed at Ebbsfleet first as a help to the Britons, 
followed by an entry for the year 455, recording that Hengist and Horsa fought against Vortigern the king in the place which is called Islesford, and his brother Horsa was slain. The saga goes on. In the year 457, Hengist and Ask fought against the Britons in the place which is called Crayford, and there slew 4,000 men. The Britons then abandoned Kent, and with great fear fled to London. Geoffrey of Monmouth, writing in the 12th century, about seven centuries after the events had taken place, greatly expanded the story with more details and narrative. Geoffrey's works are almost laughably unreliable, a collection of fairy tale romances about dragons, Merlin, and King Arthur. His history of the kings of Britain takes us on a roller coaster ride through the stories of King Arthur's chivalrous attempts to fight off the evil pagan Saxons, bravely defending God's land. Geoffrey does do a good job, however, at weaving the accounts of previous authors into his tales, which makes them seem deceptively true. Nanias's history of the Britons seems more realistic. At one point in his story, he records that Vortigern, seeing the increased size of the Saxon population, told them in no uncertain terms to go home, saying, Your number is increased. Your assistance is now unnecessary. You may, therefore, return home, for we can no longer support you. Nanias also tells how Vortigern, now at war with the Saxons, managed to push them all the way back to Thanet, practically encircling them. But the Saxons now dispatched deputies to Germany to solicit large reinforcements and an additional number of ships. Having obtained these, they fought against the kings and princes of Britain and sometimes extended their boundaries by victory and sometimes were conquered and driven back. It appears, according to the history of the Britons, that the war swung back and forth like a pendulum, each side trying to gain traction in the slippery confusion of fifth-century conflict. Later in the tale, Arthur's role in the bloodshed was brought up, but he is referred to expressly as a general rather than a monarch. Finally, Nanius writes that the castle of Vortigern was set upon by fire sent from heaven, and the king, as well as parts of his family, were reduced to ashes. While the Britons had lost their king, the Saxons were stronger than ever, receiving reinforcements from their homelands. When Hengist died, Okta is said to have succeeded him as king of the Saxons. He and subsequent rulers would go on to shove the Britons out of their territory and far over the hills, until the Anglo-Saxons had asserted their hegemony over most of the island. And, as before, the rest is history. These sources range from 8 to 13 centuries old and are riddled with flaws and credibility issues. As mentioned in our previous episode, looking at the background to the Anglo-Saxon migrations, it is highly likely these stories are complete fabrications, and the invasion was slow, staggered, and drawn out over several decades. But eventually, the Anglo-Saxons were able to tackle and bring down the native Britonic population, seizing control. <laughs> <laughs>